if you're paying a higher interest rate than what you could otherwise achieve through an investment, it's bad debt. Hey, what's up, investor? Welcome back to another episode of the Passive Income Adventures, where we are going on an adventure today with Travis Watts. I'm really excited to have him in the studio recording with us because Travis is one of those people that I talk about when I'm saying, find somebody who's doing something that you want to be doing, copy them. The person that's in my head when I'm thinking that is Travis Watts. And so I'm really happy that he came to join us today to just talk about an actual passive income journey where he was able to retire early on his passive income through a diversification of investments from multifamily real estate, which is his specialty, like it is mine, to cash flowing businesses and other types of assets, just making sure that he puts together those streams of income in a way that provides him predictable, reliable, secure income because you're getting it from a diversity of sources. So the story about how he started out working a high income job and burning out, trying to scale a single family or a flipping business and just re realizing that that was not the way to the lifestyle that he wanted and being able to shift gears into more passive investments and identifying things where he could do more money in less investments so that he could get his time back and be able to have that freedom of choice and that freedom of lifestyle because the income coming in becomes less and less of a factor the longer we do this. We talk about how it's an incremental process and it's just not like a cliff that you jump off one day, suddenly you're working a nine to five and now you can retire and buy a private jet. It really is an incremental process of preparing to leave the nine to five preparing to basically retire early and how to continue to build that money through retirement, especially the early years, like what we're in right now is to be able to keep incrementally building that up little by little so that we can continue to upgrade our lifestyle and be able to do the things that we want to do by giving back to our community, serving those around us and being able to spend more time with the people that we find to be most important to us. Having that freedom to work on the things that bring you joy and that make you passionate about being alive. That's what this journey is all about. It looks different for everyone. Travis's journey is no exception, but it is certainly inspiring to give us a lot of great ideas about how we could possibly build the lifestyle of our dreams and take more passive income adventures. Thank you for joining us today. And now off to Travis Watts. Welcome Travis Watts to the show today. He is with Ashcroft Capital an ambassador. He has like the dream job. And Travis is one of those people that I usually am thinking about when we say, hey, find somebody who's doing what you want to be doing and just copy that person. Because I think it's so easy to get wrapped up in, especially in the real estate community, starting your own real estate business, becoming a syndicator. And I just realized after meeting Travis for the first time that he was doing things a little bit differently and that that was what I wanted to be doing. And just making sure that I was really keeping that passive income lifestyle heavily in focus that work optional lifestyle. So thanks for coming, Travis. And thank you so much for just being a good influencing force on me the last couple of years as I'm doing my career planning. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me back. And yeah, we've known each other for years, had a lot of conversations in between. I'm happy to share with your audience and kind of dive more into the passive income lifestyle, which is actually the latest segment that I started to launch on YouTube. Yeah. So perfect timing for that as well. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Just give us a little bit of your origin story, where you were working, what kinds of catalysts happened in your life that made you realize you needed to go down a different path. And then some of the first steps you took to start taking action on that new direction. Sure. Yeah. Happy to hit the bullet points. I think really it started sometime around high school and my parents had raised me in Fort Collins, Colorado. They'd split when I was five years old. They were both very frugal minded. So I was taught a lot about buy the off brand and save your money and don't get into debt and all these kinds of things, which today I'm very grateful for. This is basic finance 101. And 
I remember I was visiting my dad over a weekend and he's big on garage sailing and still is today. So he hands me this book and it's a rich dad prophecy. So it wasn't rich dad, oh. poor dad, like everybody attributes to their gateway book. I didn't read that till years later. So this was about an imminent stock market crash that's bound to happen. Basically no time frame, high level, biggest one we've ever seen fear-based stuff. It, did work on me in terms of scaring the crap out of me about the stock market. <laughs> so all the cash I had, I just, I left it in cash. And so that's was leading up to the great recession. And I was grateful to have been in cash during that period of time. Wasn't ready to start investing until after college. And uh, cause I didn't know what that was going to bring, but I only went to college for two years because I had a scholarship to do it. I really didn't want to go. I was ready to start working, start being an entrepreneur. Did a couple of years and real estate had fallen apart. So it's 2009 and that's when I got into single family homes. And the first thing I did is I bought a fixer upper house for myself to live in. It was a two bed, one bath in Fort Collins, Colorado. And it was about a mile and a half from a college university, Colorado State. And I thought it came out of college. And I know there's a big demand for not wanting to live in dorms, but to have a private housing set up. So I furnished this room really inexpensively through Craigslist and stuff. And I remember the first time I was handed this check for $600 and I didn't have to work for it. This was just somebody who needed a, a roof over their head. And I thought, okay. That's pretty cool. That was my first introduction to real passive income where I didn't have to exchange my time for money. So wanted to scale up the real estate business, ended up doing some fix and flips and some vacation rentals. And basically my methodology was to earn as much as I could earn with an active income for a period of time. So for me, that was oil and gas. And it was 14 hours a day, 98 hours per week. I worked mostly out of state and overseas, so I was never home. And really, I was just working my life away. I didn't have any personal relationships, never had time for friends, family, couldn't have a pet, couldn't, I just, it was just work. That was my whole life. So I thought that's not sustainable <laughs> long-term and really had the golden handcuffs. And so what I started doing, especially towards 2015 and 2016, is I started shifting away from all this active stuff that I was doing. I started saying, you know what? Fix and flips, vacation rentals, that's great. The money's great, but I don't have time. I can't scale this up. I can't have a hundred single family homes going and have this working career. It's just, it. all it was is making complications in my life. So I started really tuning into the message of passive income investing and for me personally, that's resulted in a lot of real estate, a lot of multifamily kind of value add stuff that, that you and I tinker with. But really, for sake of this conversation, this could be anything in the world that produces passive income. And I define that as where you do not materially participate in the business itself. You are just an investor. So simple example, think about buying a stock. It's passive income if they're giving you a dividend, right? You don't have to work in the company. You don't have to run the company. You don't have to sit on the board. You don't have to do anything. You just made an investment and you're getting a dividend. So it could be dividend paying stocks. It could be covered call ETF stuff. It could be ATM machines. It could be self-storage, mobile home parks, syndications, hard money lending. There's so many things that you can do for passive income. And so what I started doing is diversifying and building that up to the level that 
first allowed me to leave my oil and gas career, which I absolutely hated and was going nowhere and wanted no part of. And so that was my first taste of what financial freedom is all about. And what it was about to me, because I was young at the time, relatively speaking, is I wasn't ready to retire in the traditional sense, but what it did is it created a work optional lifestyle. So I got to now choose the projects that I wanted to hone in on. Okay. And the first thing I did was funny is I went to go work for a brokerage firm and I wanted to learn stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and I got licensed. I got a series 763. And I did that for my own personal benefit. I wanted to educate myself and immerse myself in the Wall Street system in case maybe I was missing something. Maybe there were better opportunities for me there and I didn't want to be a one-trick pony with single-family homes, but quickly burned out of you know what that's all about and went into multifamily syndications, helped a, a group in Colorado launch investor relations, and then moved on to work with Joe Fairless at Ashcroft Capital. And now I just do a director of investor education. So I'm always doing webinars and workshops and blogs and podcasting and things like that. And that's really what my passion is. I've always wanted to share what's worked for me, whether we're talking about diet or exercise or a good book I read or a good movie I watched. If I found true value in something, I'm always wanting to share it with others. And so I've made that into a career. And so we were talking before the show, and I'll shut up here in just a minute, by the way, I'm on a long rant right now. But we were talking about why do people like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates still work? They obviously have infinite wealth. Why does Elon Musk work? Why does anybody with over, say, $10 million work at all? Because you still want to have a purpose. You still want to have meaning. You still want to have fulfillment. A lot of people still need structure of sorts. And so my career might change. Ask me in 10 years, what am I doing? I don't know. But whatever it is, it's going to be what I enjoy doing 10 years from now. <laughs> and so that's what I help people accomplish is how do you build up to that point using passive income and not the traditional Wall Street methodology of just put money in these accounts until you're 60. And then hopefully there's enough money to where you can start selling it off and then live for 10, 20 years and hopefully don't outlive your money. So it's a totally different system. So I'll pause there. That's the humble beginnings and some of the milestones that kind of got me to, to where I am. There are a lot of really great points to pick up in there. I think I'll start with just that memory of the first time that we had a phone conversation. I'd heard you on a podcast or some something like that. And you said, hey, you want to call and we'll do a 15 minute free call. So I booked a call. I gave you a ring. And at 30 minutes, I was still on the phone talking about real estate. And I, after about 45 minutes, I said, so what's like, when are we going to get to the pitch part of this? <laughs> and I, cause I kept, yeah. I kept waiting for you to introduce some sort of mentorship or coaching or something that I could buy or something that I could sign right. up for because you had just spent a long time with me on the phone and you said, Oh, I don't sell anything. I just really am an ambassador and it's just fun to talk to somebody about real estate because all my friends and family are sick and tired of me talking about real estate. And that's when I really realized <laughs> the true power of what we were talking about because you got to spend some extra time because you were talking about something that you enjoyed talking about and with somebody who was interested in something that you had to teach. And that describes me pretty well. Often we'll go over on phone calls because I'm just so excited about the topic, especially if I'm either learning or teaching somebody. 
I just get really fired up about that. And I realize this guy has made a career basically out of this lifestyle. And that was when I really, I went back and I listened to a bunch more podcast episodes and I thought, okay, what is this guy doing that I can, that I can copy? And it's that spirit of being a teacher. I think that was what really caught my attention that you weren't hustling as an entrepreneur and taking care of that day-to-day -day business. And that's the point when I decided I didn't really want to scale my business, that I'm an investor, I'm not an entrepreneur. And that was really the pathway that you took me through for that phone call. And then subsequently through just listening to more and more of the podcast episodes and content and the talks that, that you put out. So first of all, thank you for that. But it really does show that we get to choose the direction that this thing is going because that passive income gives us the freedom to be able to have more options. And what that looks like is really custom up to each person. 100% appreciate the kind words. That's great that it's had that kind of impact. And yeah, I just, I always caution people, be aware of perverse incentives. A lot of people are out there pushing a product service because they have to put food on the table, right? They have to pretend to be excited or in, interested in this. And I learned that early on. One of the first jobs I had was a sales job and I was terrible at it. I was so bad at it. It was selling cutlery and a lot of people listening probably know, you know, what brand I'm talking about, but I completely yeah. sounded scripted, sounded fake. And honestly, I thought it was an overpriced product that wasn't worth the money and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't stomach myself trying to pretend to sell something I was interested in that quite frankly, I wasn't at all. And it's a beautiful thing if you can reach the point where at least you have a financial backstop where if you want to switch jobs or careers, it's not going to be, well, if I quit my job right now, we're going to lose the house. Yeah. <laughs> you can at least have kind of that, that six to 12 month buffer to make some changes in your life. And even that alone is a beautiful step to reach in life financially. That's the step that we're at right now ourselves, because we just made that transition out of the W2 where both of us are basically self-employed, but work part-time, which was, has always been the goal. We, no, we don't want to retire yeah. on the beach in Mexico, but neither one of us wants to work full-time for a while. He worked full-time and I was a stay-at-home mom. And then we both worked part-time for a while. And then he yeah. went back to full-time and I was doing part-time. So we've really done it all from a time management perspective. And we've mm -hmm. just gotten into this period where we're both back to being part-time again. But for the first time, both of us are self-employed. It's super scary. But I remember some of the resources that you gave me is like looking up financial independence, retire early, basically getting to the point where your yeah. bills are covered. That's when we really decided to downsize our lives, move into a smaller house and just really think about like, how can we get to retirement faster and some people don't yeah. want to downsize their lives. It's totally fine. It's just, you have to maybe yeah. give yourself a little bit more time or pick up another side hustle, something like that. There are lots of ways to do this, but that's what we had decided to do after we had looked at some of the resources and thought, yeah, let's take some massive action here that we're willing to do that maybe other people or normal people are not willing to do, whether that's downsizing, whether that's a new side hustle, starting a new business in addition to your W-2, but just getting ready to have that first six to 12 months where you can then use that extra time to then go build up some more income. So when we, when he left his job, we were really more in like what I would call lean retirement. Um, yeah. And we're just spending the next couple of months figuring out what that's going to look like. So can you walk us through that, what that process looked like for you, as far as when you thought, Hey, I can leave my job. 
I have yeah. enough income. Were you moving around? Had you downsized? Did you have a family at that point? What did that look like? Yeah, I want to share this for your audience. A couple different things. So I want to start on one thing you hit on. So the FIRE movement, not a lot of people are familiar. So financial independence, retire early is this concept that early on, you're going to go get a high paying job and you're going to be very frugal and save 50 to 70% of your paychecks, let's say, for a period of time, let's call it 10 years. And then you're going to have the freedom through your investments to then back off and maybe be part-time. And some people choose to actually retire or to your point, just do projects and passions that maybe still generate money, but you're not having to do the nine to five grinds. This was my strategy. It was similar, but it's different. So the FIRE movement relies heavily on this concept of the 4% rule, okay? So you're gonna have a million dollars in some brokerage account, let's say, and you're gonna sell off 4% a year of the portfolio to live on. So with a million bucks, that's 40K per year. And the theory is you're trying to be conservative because if the stock market traditionally gives you 8%, obviously it's up and down every year, but if you look at the long-term 100 year trend, it's about eight to 10% or something. So you're factoring in a little bit of inflation, a little bit of volatility, et cetera. And then you're trying to live a frugal, meaningful lifestyle. So the steps that I took without ever knowing what the fire movement was, is I did the high paying job that was the oil and gas stuff. I also did side hustles that was fixing and flipping houses and vacation rentals and having roommates and blah, blah, blah. So all these things are a lot of sacrifice, right? It took a lot of postponing and delaying dating relationships, starting a family. These were big sacrifices. And to your point, not a lot of people are willing to have that level of self-discipline or my food budget for years. I would tell myself, $2 per meal, three meals per day, $6 per day for food, period. No exceptions other than maybe a birthday or a special occasion or something like that. That's an awful lot of discipline, even adjusted for inflation. That's still probably $3.50 a meal or something. It's pretty, pretty drastic. Number one, highest and best use to make the most income possible. Number two, live on as little as possible for a period of time. So I never quit living like a college student. I was still very frugal, pretending like I made 10,000 bucks a year. I was just, I didn't spend on anything. <laughs> and then number three, you have to be an investor, okay? It's not the money under the mattress thing. It's not 0.1% in the bank. You have to be an investor. Now, for me, it ended up being about passive income which even elevated my income higher. And that's what actually allowed me to move away from that career. And I'll skip quickly to number four, it's avoid bad debt. And the way I look at bad debt is if you're paying a higher interest rate than what you could otherwise achieve through an investment, it's bad debt. That's how I look at it. And so everyone's gonna view that with their own lens. But if I've got credit card debt at 20%, that's bad debt because maybe I think conservatively, if I do a passive income investment, I'm only going to get 8% a year or 10% a year or something like that. In other words, I should focus first on paying off that debt or not even having it in the first place. So those were the four steps I took. And then I created for myself what I call the 8% rule. So instead of selling the golden goose, selling my assets, especially when you have years like 2022, where the markets are 20, 30% down. I don't want to sell during a period of time like that. I don't want to lock in any type of loss. So instead I preserve the capital. I put it, let's say in a piece of real estate. So it becomes like a down payment or what have you. And I live off the passive income that it produces. 
And I'm not even talking about the equity upside. So when you fix a place up and sell it and hopefully at a higher price, that's just icing on the cake. That's not even something I ever rely on or try to predict because nobody knows what equity is going to be about five, 10 years down the road. So if I can average an 8% in my portfolio, which I've done, I've exceeded that, but conservatively speaking, 8% a year since 2015, 2016, that's what I use for my income. And that's how I've structured it. So you might ask yourself in 2023, because you're looking at doing an apartment syndication, you're like, wait a second, this thing only is going to cash flow 5% this year. How are you doing eight? Well, I'll do a deal like that in hopes that equity ends up being there and the overall return ends up being substantially larger down the road. But again, not relying on that. And then I'll come over here and I'll do like a, a private note investment that pays me 12% a year or invest in ATM machines that give me 15% a year, whatever. So I'm going to try to merge that 50K here, 50K here, and still try to stay true to that 8%. And so that's really been the strategy that I've implemented since 2015. And as, as much as people know me as the multifamily guy, I'm just a fan of any form of passive income, right? If you got a vending machine business or something, by all means, that's awesome. Get someone else to maintenance it and stock it for you and just be a passive business owner there. So anyway, that that's my thoughts on that. That's similar to the shift that we've had to make because when my husband was working and I was just putting 100% of my effort and 100% of my investing cash into projects, I wasn't drawing a salary. We weren't taking any owner's distributions. He was just keeping the lights on, keeping food on the table. And 100% of my stuff went into really high growth types of investments where I was really not caring about cash flow. I really just wanted things that were maybe skinny in the front and fat on the back because those are pretty easy to find. And I felt like we want the fat on the back because we don't need the money right now. And then we've had yeah. to completely make a mindset shift when we decided, okay, he's going to be ready to leave his job in about a year's worth of time. So we're going to have to start shifting over to things that cash flow. And it's been very difficult for me to look at cash flowing deals because they're typically cash flowing at a lower rate than they maybe they're, they're fat the whole way through, but mostly yeah. they're medium the whole way through. And so giving up that upside on the back has been really difficult for me and finding investments that cash flow so that we can live on the cash flow. And we thought maybe eight to 10% of our total portfolio should be about 100, 120K a year. And that's what we were shooting for. But it's just been really difficult to find cash flowing deals. So do you have any tips for me and also for our listener on being able to live on the income rather than putting it away and hoping it's bigger for a retirement much down the road for people who have really targeted dates that are coming up pretty quickly. Yeah, a couple thoughts. And I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, I don't want to make things sound too good to be true. So let's break it down to reality. In 2015 and 16, when I first started doing value add multifamily syndications, it wasn't uncommon for the cash flow in the first year to be eight, nine, 10%. It was very strong, very healthy. Well, mm -hmm. what happened is the market kept going in a bull trend. More people started taking syndication courses and books and mm -hmm. more institutional interest came in. And the prices just inflated to the point that a deal today is only going to produce maybe 5% cash flow. So yep. nearly half of what it was in 2015. And it's important to recognize that because I never want to tie myself to one asset class for reasons like this. What if multifamily starts cash flowing 1% a year in a few years? Well, that's not a cash flow investment anymore. So yeah. I need to have some other things to pivot into. 
So let me break down a few ideas for you and never financial advice to anybody listening, yeah. just assets that are cash flow positive. Okay. There are ETFs, exchange traded funds in the stock market that will track an index like the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Russell 2000, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. But instead of like in the fire movement, a lot of people just buy into a low cost index fund and call it good. And that's all they ever put money into for the rest of their life. Instead of doing that, because it's awfully hard to elevate and enhance your lifestyle when you have a 2022 kind of year and you have no cash flow and your portfolio is just 20, 30% down. Yep. It's hard to expand. It's hard to, to, what do you do with that scenario? So these ETFs, they sell covered calls. Okay. So they're letting, I'm not going to get in all the weeds about this, but they do it for you so that you don't have to. And what that means is they're allowing somebody to buy their shares at a particular price. They sell them at the money every month. When you sell a covered call, it generates income. Somebody's basically like buying a contract from you to buy your shares. Well, they distribute that income to the investors on a monthly basis. And a lot of these not naming any in particular, have yields between 10 and 13% annualized. So the barrier of entry can be very low. If you have a brokerage account or an IRA and access to the stock market, you might be able to buy a share of this for 20 bucks. And then you're in business. You got monthly passive income in my definition of passive income. You could do high yield dividend paying stocks. You can be a personal hard money lender to people who are doing fix and flips or some form of development and real estate or for any other purpose in business and maybe give out a, a six month loan to somebody, a bridge loan in a sense with a 10 to 12% interest rate attached to it. And there's reasons that you know both sides benefit from structures like that. When I do note lending, I tend to do it in a fund model where they have hundreds or thousands of different loans at a time because you're limiting your risk that way. If one or two goes into default, hopefully you're in a first lien position and you can acquire that property. But in any case, it's not going to heavily impact your overall yield or return. So a lot of products like that have double digit yields. In fact, that was one of the last investments I just made was a 12% fund. And so they exist. So keep an open mind to know that while you might be capped out at that particular yield, in other words, that 12% fund is never going to pay me 13%. It's going to pay me 12 and could pay me less if something bad goes wrong with the business. So you always have to think about your risk in that sense. Whereas a syndication might only pay me 5% year one, but if they can adequately get to the business plan and sell at a higher price and execute properly, it might end up being like a 15% return or a 20% return on an annualized. That's an IRR figure. So the point is there's risk in everything. There's no perfect investment, but just know for anybody listening, there's a lot of creative ways to create passive income. I know a guy, I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago, he bought a blog. He doesn't do the blog. Okay. He has content writers. He manages the ads that oh. go on to the blog. And it's a completely, well, I say completely passive, not completely, but all he has to do is manage the relationships with the people who want to sponsor the blog. And so he made an investment. He bought the blog. He owns the domain. And now he just gets cash flow every month from sponsorships. Or my wife and I used to have two places that we lived in. And we would leave a car at one of our homes 
And we found a service that would rent our car out when we weren't there. They would wash it. They would detail it. They would make sure it had gas in it. They would clean it. They would do everything. And we had this 50-50 split on the profits. And so we ended up just cash flowing a car that we weren't even using or needing at the time. And it was a pretty low basis car. And so it paid for a third of the cost of the entire car in just a couple of years. So there's a lot of things you can do is the point. The more you can learn about it, the more ideas can come from it. And I'm happy to connect with anybody listening if you want to dig deeper into some of these things and learn more about them. It's funny how fast I've gotten spoiled by the high returns on the back end. And so what we've ended up doing is just a snowball thing where we're going to buy an investment or building or something that's only going to cash flow 5 7%, maybe only 3% the first year because it's under heavy renovations and vacancy is really high. Sure. But I'm looking at that like I don't really care if it only do 3 4 5% this year because six months ago I already already bought one that's now starting to do seven, eight, nine, because we're in year two or year three. So snowballing that so that each time I buy something and we set a goal, we're going to put this much into a deal this many times a year so that we can start to stack up that snowball because that way I feel like I can get the cash flow from the snowball effect, but I'm still enjoying the upside uh, at the back end of the project. And so far that's what we're doing, but I feel like The very first time that a real estate investor friend of mine, back when we lived in Austin and we didn't know anything about real estate and we were just giving up opportunities left and right by being too cautious, too scared. He came to us and he knew that we had saved up a bunch of money, basically preparing for the 2008 crisis because we saw everybody underwater on their homes. And so we had picked up extra jobs and we were just stocking cash into the bank. And our good friend knew about this and he came to us and he was a house flipper and he was from a very famous real estate investing family. And he asked us if we wanted to do a private loan on one of his fix and flips and he was going to give us 10%. No points, just 10% return. And I remember thinking like, wow, that sounds really scammy. 10%. Who can do 10% on investment? Oh, I don't know. I knew this guy. He was one of our best friends. Like I said, he was from a very prestigious real estate investing family famous author. It just really was so stupid for me to look at this relationship and think the first thing like, oh, I don't know. This sounds too good to be true. And then now knowing like 10%, I don't want to just do 10%. I have to do at least 12. I have to do at least 15. I've gotten very, very spoiled since that first offer back in like 2010 when the crisis was settling down and we had this cash and we were trying to figure out what to do with it. It just felt like it's a very different world now with what I know now that I can go get 10, 12% with two points any day of the week. And so I'm just very, very spoiled. And so rather than lamenting, oh man, it doesn't cash flow as well as I want to, just remembering back to where we were in those days and realizing these are actually fantastic investments. And now we're getting to pick from the best of the best and the cream of the crop. So you hit on something I want to share with your audience. That's a great point. The way I've always looked at it is if you have limited capital to to start with, if you've got 10 grand and that's it, and you're going to start your investing journey, you may not want to be a passive income investor. 10%, 10 grand, it's not life-changing. It's not inspiring. Mm -hmm. It's not exciting. The way I looked at it is 1.25 million at 8% a year is 100K. You're right. Mm-hmm. It starts to become a game changer at 100K for a lot of people. Yeah. And it might be less for you and it might be more for you. But here's what I want to hit on. How can a 10% return be better than a 20% return? I call it the velocity of capital. So let's say you have 100000 to invest. You go into something that cash flows 10% today and it goes up 1% a year. So that means after a decade, you're cash flowing at 20% off your 100K, which is 20,000 per year. Okay, you with me? But here's what you're doing and why I think that's a better strategy. You start with the 100K 
And over that same 10-year time frame, you turn that into 300K by doing these equity deals. Now you take 300K and you go into a 10% deal and that's 30,000 per year. So you just boosted your cash flow in the same 10-year time frame by 50%. Instead of getting 20K, you're getting 30K. So that's the velocity of capital. So I do the same thing, but I still prefer a cash flow component to the deal, even if it's modest, you know, mm -hmm. like to live on that. But it's to influx the money, to fix something up and make it better, to make it its highest and best use, to sell it, to cash out, whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or you're cashing out and paying the tax, which should be tax favored if you're holding longer than a year. And then you do the same thing. You just keep rinsing and repeating, buy a fixer upper, make it better, polish it up, sell it, cash out, buy a fixer upper. And so that's what I've done all the way from single family and a multifamily, whether it's a car washes, self-storage, anything I do is going to have value add component to it. I'm not one to go invest in some brand new luxury, high-end Manhattan penthouse multifamily thing. You're completely market dependent. There's not much you can do to affect rents positively if everything's new and shiny and you paid full price for it. All right. It's like buying a new car. It's just maybe not as good of a financial strategy, let's say, <laughs> as to buy a fixer upper car that you can fix, make better. And we've had cars that we've put 50,000 miles on and sold for a higher price than what we paid for them. So it's just my mentality from childhood. But anyway, I love your strategy. Just wanted to share that with your listeners. That's good. It's good to get some reinforcement because I feel like we are on the tightrope right now and our safety net has really, really big holes in it. So I, and I don't know if that's actually accurate, but I think stepping away from the W2, it's a huge mindset shift. And my husband was saying one day, he said, I'm just used to getting paid every two weeks. He goes, and now we just have to reset our thinking to say, well, we're going to get paid every three to 12 months. And hopefully that big paycheck will come and then we can allocate that over the months. And he said, that's just going to be a mindset shift for me because at that time he was still thinking, I don't want to quit my job until you have 10,000 a month coming in month after month after month after month. And while monthly distributions are great, it's just really not the way that it works in the passive income lifestyle. You're basically just going from project to project to project is what I've learned. And, and, mm -hmm as we meet more people and talk to more people and figure out what they're doing and say, oh, this is a great opportunity or let's do that. Just putting yourself in a position to be around people who are doing things and just sharing opportunities. And you'll hear 80 opportunities and maybe invest in one of them. But just being able to cobble together this basket of opportunities, the seven streams of income that most millionaires have, that's not just a made up thing. It's actually real. Like most of us are going after things in this and avoiding shiny object syndrome but it yeah. sounds like we're doing shiny object syndrome because we have to have seven streams of income yet we're told to focus and niche down on one thing, but yet we have to have seven streams of income. So I find myself oftentimes lost in knowing what do I niche down on and what do I diversify into? So what's your approach there? Yeah. So Warren Buffett has a great quote, never rely on a single income source, create investments to, to make a second source. So I take that a step further. Yeah. Why not make 50 sources of income? So the thing is, if you look at it from active sources of income, that could be challenging. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that's not what the statistic is trying to portray. So you could have a brokerage account that you've got a money market account paying you 4% right now. And so there's a stream of income and a high yield savings account and a bond and your job and a little side hobby that you do. You can quickly get to the seven. How do I approach it? I diversify into as many things as possible, mostly to learn about them in case I ever need to make a pivot or a change. 
I don't want to just know one thing. I remember my uncle, he was a house flipper and developer in Denver, Colorado. And I remember like <laughs> thinking how successful and seeing his success moving from these mediocre neighborhoods into these luxury neighborhoods into almost buying mansions in Denver, mm -hmm. basically. Well, that ended in 2008 and he just kept rolling his profits into one deal in one thing. He knew one thing. He knew one way to make money and he almost lost everything. That house really, it went down probably about 50%. He had a lot of holding costs to it. It was just a, it was a bad deal. Had he been more diversified and 2008 starts to unravel and then he can say, well, I'm going to pivot over here and I'm going to start doing these, whatever it is, self-storage, car wash, syndications, whatever he could have done a lot better with it. So I think the only thing I've ever come up with to limit your risk in general as an investor against fraud and against downturns and against everything that might pop up that's a risk is to diversify. So I probably have, yeah, 50 plus income stream. It doesn't mean each one's bringing in thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, right? Some of them are 150 bucks a month, but it's something. I like the incremental mastery approach that you mentioned. It's, you're learning about something, you're getting really into it, you're diving down the rabbit hole, but that doesn't mean that you forgot everything that you learned about the previous thing that you were doing. And so just being able to take the time to say, hey, I'm doing this, I'm pretty good at it. I feel like it's it's not on autopilot, but we're getting pretty close to having it on autopilot. Let's go learn about the next thing because diversification really is key. But I know a lot of investors will hyper diversify and it becomes extremely time consuming to vet out new opportunities yeah. and to track the old opportunities. Opportunities. And so finding that balance of diversification and then just lifestyle of being able to manage it all is really tricky. I think, especially for those of yeah. us who really value diversification and security, it ends up becoming yeah. like a part-time job just to manage the portfolio and then another part-time job to network and find new opportunities and vet new opportunities. So I'm trying to just strike a balance there between <laughs> those yeah. two things. <laughs> No, it's a great point. And I was one of those people who did hyper diversify, especially early on. And in my mind, I made some mistakes such as I won't do a 25,000 investment anymore in a syndication mm -hmm. because of, to your point, it's the due diligence that you have to go through, the paperwork you have to go through. Now you have another K-1 that you have to file. Yep. The CPA is hiking the bill on me now. It's not cash flowing high enough to make it worth my time. And so I just made that a rule for myself that my minimum is going to have to be like 50K or higher to, but that's just me not telling anybody else mm -hmm. what to do. But um, yeah, it's, I ran a show, a podcast called the actively passive show for mm -hmm. a couple of years, and it was highlighting all the active components to being a passive investor. Yep. And truth is, yeah, it's not fully passive, but then again, it depends on the person because we, have a lot of investors with Ashcroft that may be medical professionals and literally they're just skimming an email once per yeah. month. And it's just saying occupancy collections, your distributions on the way. So for them, it is pretty passive. You yeah. could probably skim a handful of those and have my seven income streams and <laughs> be pretty passive. But having 50 plus income streams is mm -hmm. something I chose to do, which makes it a little more active. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to decide for you, but I would focus, my best advice on that is to focus primarily on what you know and understand and what you want to do for the active stuff and then try to just allocate maybe 10 to 20% of your time towards your passive portfolio. So 
it's a component, but you don't want it to overtake your life. I don't even know when I first heard the term passive income, because I remember in high school and early college calling it residual income. And that's what yeah. it, we all called. I don't know. I don't even know where I heard that. I just I remember using that term frequently in that early part of my life, watching other people invest and trying to get my head wrapped around all of this and trying to capture this lifestyle even back then and just not knowing what I was doing. I, we never called it passive income until just recently, because the residual income gives a sense that you had to do something. And then you have to do some ongoing light management for it. And I think that's a much more accurate term to what it is that we're trying to create. It's just, I think passive income is just a sexier name. <laughs> There's a lot of names for it. I generalize that term. We could get technical about what exactly is passive income versus what is portfolio income versus what is cash flow versus royalties versus dividends. In a general sense, I'm just, again, back to my original definition. If you don't materially participate in the business itself that's generating the income, to me, that's passive income. I'm just somebody saying, here's some money and pay me every month or every quarter. That's it. So yeah. that's my <laughs> layman's terms, passive income. Let's shift gears and talk about what you're working on next. What's your big passive income dream? Like your Warren Buffett, your Bill Gates comment earlier, you don't work because you have to work to keep your lights on. You're working because you want to work. So what does that look like for you today? And what really drives you? What's your next passive income adventure? Yeah, that's a great point. So I truly do enjoy what I do with Ashcroft Capital as a director of investor education because it gets me access to a lot of national conferences where I can meet people on a personal level and also on a professional level. So this is how I find a lot of operators that I invest with. It's how I can give back to others by being on stage and doing a presentation like I'll be doing this year at the Best Ever Conference, which is the one that Joe puts on. By the way, are you guys heading to Best Ever? We had the best ever tickets because we live in Salt Lake City right now and we're doing our passive income adventure. We're going to hike the Arizona trail. So probably we'll be already on trail by the time people are listening okay. to this. Gotcha. And we just felt like we couldn't wait until after best ever was over because it's Arizona. So it was getting too hot and we just felt like it'd yeah. be too dangerous for the kids. So we are, we, I sent the ticket to my partner and he's going to go there and represent and we're going to be yeah. out hiking. Give us a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. Not, well, <laughs> not any kind of affiliation or plug. I get no incentive off that. But it's just it. my point is that you've been there before and it's just a big conference of a thousand plus people and great for networking and for learning and stuff like that. Back to your question. So this is what I choose to do right now with my time. I don't have a nine to five. I don't sit in a cubicle. I don't even go into an office. I travel a ton. I travel domestically. I travel internationally. And I just work around the clock. And so that's what my lifestyle looks like right now. And I intend for that to keep expanding and growing into that type of lifestyle as we progress forward. Again, what I mentioned earlier, ask me in 10 years, I always joke that maybe we'll be living in Bali and I'll be a yoga instructor. So yeah. if that's what is making the biggest impact in our lives at that time, maybe that's what I'll be doing. But I'll always have that, that interest in passive income. Mm -hmm. And so as long as it continues to work well for us, I'm going to continue to share and who knows, might write a book or something like that on it. But yeah, we'll see. <laughs> you have the freedom to just go on the adventures as they come. And I always tell my husband, I said, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in 10 years, but I do know it's going to be something because I'm always doing something that I'm hyper passionate yeah. about and get really excited about. And I think I just moved from one project to the next and the freedom to be able to do that now 
with less tied down to a physical location, with let me our kids are homeschooled. We just don't really have anything tying us down. So we're just going off on some adventures. It sounds like just having that freedom to be able to make those decisions as they come along. That's yeah. the beauty of, of how we're living. It is just that alone, the ability to homeschool, which is something that, that we may move more towards. We just had our, our son a little over a year ago. And so, yeah, I'm going to retire my wife. She honestly loves what she does right now. And we get free flight benefits. She works for an airline. And so that helps us with our travel <laughs> in our budget, but she's not going to want to hang out there forever. So when that day comes, that'll be another game changer for us. So in the meantime, and to your point, it's just about being able to focus on what you love and enjoy. And what I always say is passive income allows you to do more of what you love and enjoy mm -hmm. and then outsource the rest. And yeah. what I mean by that is like we recently got a house cleaner, not that we have a huge house or anything, but what we found ourselves doing is when the weekends would roll around, we would end up cleaning the house over the weekend instead of going yeah. out and having fun with our son and spending that, that quality time as a family together. And so I think of it like I go take 50K and do an investment and it starts pumping in $500 per month. Well, we use that to now get a house cleaner or to get a landscaping company or what have you, because those aren't things that I enjoy doing. And it frees up our time to do what we find is most beneficial. So that's the beauty of it. And the cool thing is we talked a lot on this episode about financial freedom and having more passive income than living expenses, but you don't have to do it that way. You don't have to wait for that moment in time. You could just make one investment one time and now have 500 extra per month, for example, and use that to take an extra vacation per year. Use that to supplement your kids through college. Use that to, I don't know, have a car payment for a nice car if you're into that kind of thing. Like whatever it is, you can elevate your lifestyle through passive income. And I think that's the message I want to leave everybody with. Yeah, awesome. It's just, it's an incremental process. It's not this event that a lot of us like to think. We left the W-2. Well, we haven't arrived. We have this incremental process we're still going through as we just take down one bill at a time with passive income. So thank you for sharing that. I, it's really motivational to see somebody who's actually doing it rather than just thinking about it or wishing they could do it. You went out there and you took action, you're making it happen and you're teaching the rest of us how to follow in your footsteps. And you would be thrilled even if we surpassed you. That's the mark of a great teacher. So thank you for sharing that. So how do people get a hold of you and why should people get a hold of you? Yeah, good question. So I put my calendar out there, same calendar you connected on years ago. I do free complimentary no upsell calls with anybody and everybody from, I literally talk to 18 year olds to 70 year olds to accredited to non-accredited to highly sophisticated advanced investors to complete newbies. So take me up on that offer. Easiest way to find it is on ashcroftcapital.com forward slash Travis. That's my page there. And it's got a bunch of resources. If you don't want to go on that source, I put my calendar on LinkedIn. So Travis Watts and Facebook at Passive Investor Tips or Instagram at Passive Investor Tips. So Take me up on there. Why should you connect? I believe there's a need for passive income for everybody in one form or another, whether it's just 
to, to your point earlier, Emma, about seven sources of income or whether it's I'm going to start learning the beginning stages of how to retire one day on passive income or it's I've never invested in real estate and I'm tired of the stock market. Maybe this is a diversification thing I should look at or try. So there's going to be some nugget of information that I'm confident I can help with. And that would be the why, giving that out to everybody for free without any kind of upsell. So take me up on it. Always happy to be a mentor or a resource for you. I've definitely taken you up on that before, and it's always been very, very valuable. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, to talk to our listener on the podcast today for the time that you've spent with my investing club, for the time that you spent with me on the phone, and the time that you spend being away from your family, traveling, and speaking, just really having the opportunity to do things that are nice to do and nice to have rather than have to do and have to have because you just have the freedom to make those decisions as you go along. And it's just a lifestyle that has really motivated us over the years. So thank you. All right. Well, you're welcome. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you got so much out of this, just like I did with Travis. Make sure that you reach out after the show. We really value networking. It's what makes this industry go around. And so having Travis in your network, we want you in our network. Please reach out after the show. That's why we put these episodes together is to help teach you, but also to connect with you so that we can have a bigger network and help each other out a lot more. So also reach out to me on my website at highrise.group slash content. I got all my socials there. We got a calendar link. I do the same thing that Travis does, complimentary calls reach out, ask me anything. Let's see if you can stump me or if, if you do, I'll hook you up with some resources of somebody who can help if I can't. So we just really want to make sure that we are providing you a lot of value so that you can get on your passive income adventure journey alongside us. Thank you for joining us today.